This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to From Disaster to Dream Home, the podcast that takes you inside the home building and rebuilding process. When interior designer Jana Rosenblatt had an 80-foot tree fall on her house, she saw the opportunity to create the customized home of her dreams. From Disaster to Dream Home provides you with the information and resources Jana wished she had during her rebuilding process. Now she's sharing with you the expertise of leading architects and home builders and the newest products and materials on the market. Here's your host, Jana Rosenblatt. I can't thank you two enough for uh, coming back for another episode of Dream It, Design It, Build It. I want to talk today about um, the important topic of creating the budget um, to build or rebuild a new home from the ground up. Um, For the last 12 months, you know that we've been working on two homes that were devastated in the Woolsey fires in Southern California. And with those in mind, I want to ask a bunch of questions about... um, how you figure out what it all costs and and what we're gonna do with that money. So let's start at the beginning. What are the steps leading up to the beginning of the budgeting process? So I think uh, for the first thing we need to know and have a good idea of what you previously had, what kind of house did you have? So we're gonna be looking at your neighborhood, the uh, things you might've had in their house and the things that you, and then go to what you want in the house. So first you would start with, okay, are we putting back a house that's the same square footage? Or are you adding on to square footage? So we start really with the square footage and the, the quality of materials that you have in it. So we have a pretty good idea depending on your neighborhood, if it's a track house, if it's a custom house, it's a little bit different. But a track house or a house where there's, you know, 60 models and, you know, there might be three or four other people in your neighborhood that have the same floor plan. We kind of have a pretty good idea of what that might cost if someone says, hey, that we have a similar looking place. So we can actually go and say, okay, here's a ballpark, you know, for that. And then we go to the other things. Okay, do you want to add square footage to it? Do you want it to be a lot fancier than what you had? Are you trying to just get it back to what, similar to what you had? And then we can um, come up with a number from there. Now, uh, we talked in a previous show about the insurance process and about um, the money and the coverages. So definitely if people have some questions about that, they should go back and and listen to episode two. But uh, so the question is, if someone wants to do something more than or very different than what they had, um, how, how does that work? Uh, how do you, um, understand, you know, what the difference is between what the insurance company is going to give them and does the insurance company care what you do? No. So basically to get a detailed budget for a house, we need a set of working plans. So you would need, you know, the architect to draw in plans with structural engineering, um, because what they had and what they're going to put back say uh, the house burns are a lot of times going to be completely different. So it doesn't really matter to us what they had before. 
we're pricing what they're building now. So we right. don't we don't use necessarily the money the insurance is paying to budget the new house that they're going off of because it could be less or more depending on what they're they want. But I would say working plans to get a detailed budget would be the most important aspect to get a, a detailed budget. I would use the, uh, you know, the last episode we had the analogy of about the car. So I think that helps to me, that helps people understand it. So if you have a house that's uh, destroyed and I, and I say, okay, you, you had a Honda car and then you come to me and you say, I, you know, I want the Mercedes and your reference to the insurance company was if you have the Honda car, they're only going to repay you for the Honda house. You don't, you don't get the upgrade just because you like it and you tell the insurance company, I like more. They're going to pay you what we, we call like for like. So whatever you have, that's what they owe you back for. They don't owe you for your dreams or anything else. They only owe you for what you had. So anything beyond that, you know, square footage, fancier things, then we have to try to figure out, okay, what's that going to cost you? We try to get a feel uh, from, you know, the homeowner. What are you actually looking for? So then we could kind of give them a ballpark. So we start with that ballpark figure um, and go from there. So if you don't, if you hadn't planned on your house burning down and you didn't sock away an extra $500,000 to make your dream, you know, add to your uh, um, allowance for your dream house, um, are you, how do you help the client stay on track? If, you know, do they honestly say to you, listen, I got to work within the budget that I'm being given or how do, how do you help them understand the process? So I think that's part of uh, what John said was we would then get a, you know, a set of plans mm -hmm. to work from. And the finishes that are inside it is usually where the cost is. So mm -hmm. let's say you have a similar square footage house you're probably going to be fine with the money that you get from your insurance company. What, what goes beyond that? Let's say you had carpet and now you want, you know, $30 a square foot wood floors in your house. Right. So you have the same square footage, but there's your, there's your bump. And you can tell the people, look, they're going to pay you for carpet. So that line item that you had carpet, if you want to pay more, that's great. But you know, here's what you had. And so you try to really direct them to what they had. Uh, and if they want to pay more, then you say that that's fine and that, that will be more. But uh, yeah, sometimes it's hard to rein everybody in and uh, keep yeah. them, you know, to make sure that you get the job done. Hey, we're trying to work with you to get your job done for the amount of money that you have. So, yeah, when you say hard to rein everybody in, I, I'm guessing the interior designers is part of that everybody. Um, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. They're right up there at the very top. I know. I know. Hey, some <laughs> of us really care that the budget bottom line is, even if it doesn't appear to be the case through the process. But, but that is part of the design. The designer also has to know, OK, this is the budget that the people have. And if they want to spend extra money, I think all of us in the construction part would say, hey, yeah, we're more than happy to have you spend more money. Yeah. Right. Know, and make we're happy to do beautiful. it for you. Yeah. Yeah. So in my experience building 20 plus houses from the ground up, I rarely get to meet the architect at the homes that I work on. I, I'm called in usually at the end of that process. Um, how does the architect uh, involved in the creation of the budget? Uh, do they um, help educate the clients of prospective costs throughout the design process? 
I would say yes, they, they do. Now every architect's different, but most architects should have a general idea, you know, and let the customer know if he's if he's going above and beyond what his budget is, you know, a two-story, three-story house or the size or the ceiling heights or the fancy bathrooms. So I think it's a good idea to let the architect know what your budget is. He can kind of wheel you in, you know, on a window, you know, you may want really expensive windows and he may be able to tell you, Hey, look, those windows are going to add a hundred thousand. Why don't we use these windows? Um, and so, so it's always nice to at least tell the architect what his budget is. Um, and for the most part, I think that they do work with the homeowner to educate them on that. And do you find that the architects, um, that you've worked with and maybe on this last two homes um, are current on their assessment of certain choices will cost? Are they current on pricing? I would say that the architects we work with, yes. Um, they, have, they have a pretty good concept of what things cost. You know, it may not be the exact number, but they're in the ballpark for the customer to make an educated decision on. That's good. Um, are you the builder consulted about what things cost during the architect's design process? Do you see roughs and then, you know, look at them together and then move on? Yeah. One of the things that they do right off the bat is usually uh, do a floor plan for the homeowner to look at uh -huh. before they start getting into the rest of the elevations and all that kind of stuff. So they start with a simple thing with, you know, the floor plan, they show that to the, uh, you know, to the homeowner before they can go do, you know, walls or elevations or any of that kind of stuff. So we generally look at something like that at the beginning, and then we can start asking the questions uh, of the architect, you know, what, you know, where is this going from here? Or, you know, how, how come he's got a game room that's 2000 square feet? Did you, you know, th those kind of things. If we see something that looks out of line mm -hmm. or we're going to, Hey, that's going to cost him a lot of money to do that. So, it starts with just doing the floor, the basic floor plan to get the rooms and the kitchens and all that kind of stuff uh, designed out. So, um, so you do get to take a look at it pretty early in the process before they've committed to things that are, you know, gotten overly committed to things that are going to be particularly pricey if you can spot them. Um, so once you started totaling up the budget columns, uh, do that, does that then incur changes uh, that you have to go back to the architect and say, okay, now we're really looking at this and, uh, and, uh, and it's taken us over, you know, this uh, place that they want to end up, um, you know, what do we do? Does you go back and forth a lot? I, I wouldn't say so necessarily on, on um, going back and forth. I would say it's more the finishes that the customer does, the cabinets, you know, the tile that they choose, the light fixtures, the plumbing fixtures, as far as the house floor plan and kind of structural design, there's not a lot going back and forth. There's a lot of other ways to save money on not changing the design of the house, but maybe the finishes um, that that's where a lot of where the windows or, you know, do you want stone on the side of your house or a stucco, you know, siding versus um, stucco. Those are areas you can save. Um, so I would say, it's more in the design aspect than it is the structural part that the architect's drawing up. And some of the, and along with that, some of the things that they do, like I talked about right at the beginning, if you have a floor plan and let's say he shows that he's going to put in 50 windows in a house. Yeah. And, and, 
and they're, you know, he's calling out, well, I think I should have these big giant sliding doors and, you know, all this other kind of stuff. You can go, hey, wait a minute, you know, this guy doesn't, he's not really budgeted for that. You, you might want to knock, you know, we need to cut back on that right off the bat. We can, you know, spot some of that stuff. Or if the house I had before had eight foot ceilings and the guy now wants 12 foot ceilings, you're going to go, wait a minute, the square footage is the same. But do you know the guy's now going to pay double because of what you just did, even though the floor plan is the same, the ceiling height is different. So those are the kind of things, you know, we might try to nip in the bud at the beginning. Yeah. And yeah. So you're looking to ask those questions because, you know, when you're looking at a plan, it doesn't show the, uh, the height of the, of the walls. Then all of a sudden it comes back to you in the next stage and, you know, how walls that were eight, six, or nine um, are now, you know, 12, as we have witnessed very recently. Um, and, and of course, that affects the size of the windows. It affects all the building materials. It affects, you know, the design proportions inside. Uh, so you're going to start asking those questions even when you're just looking at the plan to kind of keep that in track, or does that sometimes catch you by surprise? Well, if we, if we see the plans, if we're able to see the elevations with ceiling heights, you know, we'll go to the architect and customer and let them know, give them a ballpark. Hey, this is bumping up the price, you know, X amount of dollars. You know, the ceilings are 12, square, 12 feet high instead of eight or 10. Is that, is that something that you're okay with? Or is that going to be an issue? Let's find some medium ground where, you know, you're not killing your budget, but your ceilings are getting higher. So we'll address that at the beginning because once the plans get submitted, you know, that's to, you know, to the county or city for building and safety. That's what you end up building. So you want to have those talks before the architect submits the plans in the building and safety and planning. Got it. Yeah. So there is some back and forth with the architect um, uh, so that there's more than just the, the client, you know, looking at the details, someone, you know, as ed more educated about it with more experience is watching out for them. Yeah. The contractor will sit down with the homeowner and the architect um, and review the whole plan. So, you know, everyone understands, you know, we may be able to communicate something to the, the homeowner a little different than the architect. And basically the goal of those meetings is everyone understands the house, right? Not everyone's used to looking at elevation drawings or floor plans. Yeah. So it could look very confusing. And it's our goal to help them understand what that actually is and answer any questions. So they have a true understanding of what it is that we're pricing out and what the home's going to look like. And so yeah, we like to be um, in on that process if we can early. Yeah. So because we do get jobs where people just hand us a rolled up set of plants and go, here you go, you know, give us a bid. And we start looking at it and we go, you know, they could have saved money here, there, and maybe they don't want to, maybe that's exactly what they want. But a lot of people want to know, well, how could I save some money and still get the best, yeah. you know, bang for my buck here. So yeah, it, it's always good to be early and get, you know, get some feedback you know, feedback in. Yeah, I imagine that it's, it's much easier if you've been part of the thinking process to not, you know, sort of miss things that the client might not understand. I mean, they may not understand looking at a plan at elevation quite what they bargained for. And at least if you see the process, you know, there are more conversations. Correct, correct. Uh, how long does it take to create that first um, full budget for the new house? And, and what did it take to get to that point? When do you know you're ready to do the numbers? Well, once we have like a final set of working plans that's either being sent into building and safety or planning, we take a look because we know a lot of the times the corrections are going to be pretty minimal. 
but we sit down and I'd say it probably takes anywhere from three to four weeks for us kind of dissecting the plan. Wow. Coming, yeah. uh, coming up with cost and trying to break out every expense possible. Um, so our bid is, you know, very transparent to the customer on what it includes, what it doesn't include, you know, what are your allowances for materials, et cetera, et cetera. So I'd say three to four months or three to four weeks, excuse me. Um, if we could do it sooner than that, we would sure like to. So by the time it's getting approval, you've already hopefully uh, to the uh, city for approval, you've probably gone through it enough so that you don't expect major changes that are budget related. Like Exactly. Most enough. of the changes are going to be pretty minimal financially. It may be the architect adding a note here or there, but it's not typically it's not going to add money to the budget. If so, it's going to be very minimal. It's, it's not going to change the homeowner's decision to build that house or not. Uh-huh. Uh, so you mentioned the word a minute ago. The word um, is a big part of my life. The part of the budget that I, as the interior designer, sees on a new home build is called the allowances. Can you explain to us what that is and, and why? No, that you don't have to. Okay, and a, an allowance is basically is a material, right? So as we're as we're bidding the project, um, the customer, the architect, the designer, they haven't picked out kitchen sinks, faucets, countertops, tile, flooring, right? So we can't put an exact number on all those items because all those things haven't been thought out, right? We're trying to figure out the floor plan, the windows, you know, the ceiling heights, you know, maybe where recessed lighting goes, but the actual material finishes are what, an, what the allowances are. So it's a budget that is, it's included in the bid. If you spend $500 for a kitchen sink, that's included. If you spend 3000, you pay the difference. So it just helps the customer stay on budget if they follow the, the allowances. If, if they want to get something higher, they understand right off the bat that that's going to cost more money. And we usually have a pretty good idea of what the people are trying to build. So uh -huh. let's say, you know, the, you're doing a standard house, a $300 toilet. So we'd say, hey, there's an allowance. We'll put that in there for $300. We'll put in a sink for $100, you know, maybe a, a faucet for $250. And yeah, if someone wants to buy a $500 faucet, that's great. Or, you know, one of those new fancy toilets for $5,000. Okay. But yeah, we get that, we get that uh, allowance out there. And so they know, can I build a decent house for this amount? Yes, you could. We're not, we're not trying to short and we're giving them a reasonable middle of the road price for something that they could actually build. And if they want to spend extra money on stuff like that, then they, they can do that. Yeah. So what happens? So when I first got on a, get on a project like this, and certainly for the last two houses that we worked on, um, you know, the allowances budget is um, both my friend and my, my enemy, but not my friend of me. Um, <laughs> Because what I'm doing is I'm asking the clients now, like the architect did at the beginning, again, what are your hopes and dreams? Bring me pictures, you know, give me adjectives, give me, you know, so I'm building on something now that's already been set as a budget. And I really do, I do work hard to inform clients when what they want and what they're showing me is not in, you know, congruent with the pricing that, you know, because there are always choices you can make. And then I, work really hard to see what I can do. And so when they're, you know, going to go beyond that, they know as, as what you're saying. So is there a template or a formula that you use in creating the allowance budget? And are, are those, you know, where does that information come from? 
Well, that information comes from the projects we've done in the past. So just mm -hmm. experience and you can technically throw any number at any allowance, but we basically take previous projects, find out what the average is being spent on a pendant light, a ceiling fan, a doorknob, kitchen faucet. And so we use kind of averages on, on previous work. Um, or if we have a customer that it lets us know up front, hey, I'm gonna do you know, built-in appliances, wolf appliances, then we can budget those accordingly. We can say, okay, talk to an appliance company and say, what are a, a set of wolf appliances? So that way we're more in the ballpark, but that's not everybody. Those are expensive. And so we try to stay with like the averages in this area on the homes we work on. Um, and the whole idea of that is to just eliminate any gray area. It's black and white. You understand what's included in the budget for each item. So everybody knows, and it's not just, Hey, uh, you get a kitchen sink, you know, you can't just go pick up $5,000 sink per se. So it makes it clear for the homeowner and the contractor and the designer to know where, where the materials should be allocated. Yes, it does. Um, so when I come aboard on a project, it's most often after the plans are approved and that there's a set budget. Um, do you feel that it would be useful for the client to have an interior designer consulting earlier in the process um, so that they can really feed out from the client or get an idea for whether they want, you know, man-made quartz or um, really expensive, you know, imported marble uh, and, you know, what the looks are actually uh, going to be that they're going for? Absolutely. That'd be a dream for all of us contractors um, to have a designer have those meetings already with her and know what the materials are going to be because it's going to lead to a much more accurate budget up front if you've had the time and meetings sitting with them understanding what the finishes are going to be we can just plug that into the budget and yeah keeps it simpler keeps the change orders keeps you know additional costs from coming out it would be it would be very helpful i would highly encourage that yeah, and the other thing it would do is save on the amount of time it takes to build the house. Because a oh, lot of these absolutely. things, right. you have to order. So if I knew, let's say, they wanted this super duper countertop that's going to take three months to get, as opposed to the one I can go pick up down at the store next week, um, we'd, we'd have wanted to know that, uh, you know, three months ago, because otherwise now you're just kind of sitting there. Uh, we're dealing with a house right now where we're, doing the windows. And I told the customer almost six months ago, you need to get these windows finalized. And uh, now we're about to start his house. I'm like, you got two days and uh, now it's going to be, we'll just be sitting there looking at you and we'll all go home because you don't have any windows because yeah. windows might take two to three months at this point to right. get. So a lot of, a lot of the material, you know, if someone can't make up their mind and then they say, Oh, I want something. And we're going to import it from Italy and it'll be here in three months. Well, your bathroom isn't going to be built for three months. And so we'll all go home and we'll wait for it to come in. So, yeah, absolutely. The more things that you can decide what you want, the quicker your house gets built and the more timely it gets built. Yeah, well, just so you know, I'd be more than happy to come aboard earlier. So <laughs> keep me posted. <laughs> but it, it's tricky because, you know, I always feel like I'm... I'm the new guy on the job and you guys are, you know, maybe it feels like you're a third of the way done and I'm like running to keep up constantly, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, I put a lot of pressure on the designer to really catch up. Um, 
So yeah, I would say the sooner the better to make a designer decision. Yeah, and we and we always go. Yeah, we need that answer yesterday. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and you know, and it really makes a difference because the windows is an excellent example because you're going to have to wait for however long it takes for those windows to get manufactured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're actually working on one today. The plans are sitting right here, so uh -huh. I've I've been going over them today so that you know we just home. If there's a drop dead date, or you. You know, if we just don't get these things here, we're not going to be able to continue with the house. And yeah. even though that part is two to three months away, we know that these windows that he wants for this house are going to take that long. Yeah. To get. Yeah. And it's just not real enough for him to get it. Yeah. Just yeah. Yeah. Because he's never done it before. He doesn't yeah. know that this, you know. It, you know, it's it, it's helpful to with the designer, you know, to have someone to lean on and kind of. Um, you know, trust their opinion. You know, people have like buyer's remorse. When you're going to order windows, um, you know, it's an expensive part of the project. So you want to make yep. sure it's the right windows, they open the way I want them to open yep. and, you know, thinking it through. But if you have a designer and it's someone to bounce feedback off of, you know, you just make the decision and it's final. You yep. get them ordered. Yeah. All right. So is the budgeting process different on an insurance-based project versus a new home that someone's choosing to build and might've been dreaming of for the last 10 years? Would, would you say an insurance project like a total loss or just this? Yeah, a total loss, you know, like um, the Oak Park projects versus, you know, a, a client that comes to you that's been thinking about the house for so many years. I'd, I'd say probably the only thing that I would say is when you have the insurance loss, somebody's writing down specifically that amount of money that you're going to get. Yeah. So there is, there is some kind of number where people are going, okay, so I, I do have X amount of dollars. The question is, do I want to spend above that? So let's say I got a million dollars, but really it's fine with me to spend another 500. Yeah. And, uh, as opposed to a, somebody that's been saving for a long time or waiting for it, they, they probably have a pretty good idea of, of what they want to spend. Um, it's more of an, I would say it's more of an emotional thing because you're not saving up to do that. It's sudden okay. and accidental. You weren't planning on this. It hasn't been your dream. You probably been living in your house perfectly fine. Right. And then when you have something, um, really bad, like a fire or yeah. flood or whatever it could be, earthquake. I mean, we haven't had an earthquake. I remember the earthquake. That's wood, probably yeah. another, that's probably another segment, you know, the earthquake yeah. in 94, what yeah. happened to all those houses then and how everyone was affected by it. So yeah. it's more a mental, probably a mental thing, just coming to the grips of what's happened to you. So when I start a renovation budget on a project, because um, usually on a renovation, I'm at the beginning of the process, I suggest the client add 10% on the budget to be prepared for things that come up. And in general, that's covered all, all kinds of surprises. Um, do you suggest any kind of percentage amount to prepare for possible increases in material costs and upgrades um, of things that they may want because they haven't actually chosen the materials until you started building? That's exactly it. We tell people 10%. I wouldn't you? be surprised yeah. if you go 10%, you know, whether that's change orders, there's a lot of things that could cover material cost increase, um, things like that. But 10% from the budget is a good number that you plan on spending above and beyond. Yeah, I, 
that's good to hear. Um, so you just segued beautifully again into my next question, which is probably the most hated term in the rebuilding process to, for the client is the change order. And you don't like them either. Right. <laughs> Can you explain <laughs> what a change order is? Well, a change order is basically any additional cost that's not included in the original budget. Uh, it could be hundreds of things. Um, an example would be, you know, if the plan calls for eight recess lights in the kitchen and you want to put in 25, right? So a change order would be the additional 13 lights that you're putting in. Or um, there's, there's a lot of things that could, you know, um, be included, but it's anything that's not on the plan that's thought of as you're building the house that you want to add. And they're very popular in new construction homes. People are always changing their minds or adding things. Popular, still misunderstood. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people, as you go through the process, they've never really paid attention yeah. before yeah. to what a house is. And so a, a real easy example is wood flooring. Yeah. They said, okay, we wanted wood flooring. And, uh, you know, so there's $12 wood flooring. And now they're, it's like when you, you buy the, the new car, I use the car analogy, pretty soon everybody, which you thought you got the only car like that. Now you find out everybody in Southern California right. has your car. Right. What, what happened there? And it's kind of like that with the wood floor. So you pick out a wood floor for 12 bucks. Now you're walking in all your friends' houses. They have wood floors too. And, and you know, Joe down the street, he's got a really fancy wood floor. I think I went Joe's wood floor. And now he's got $25 wood floor. So I want that upgraded. So now it's a change order because I want Joe's wood floor. Yeah. And you're going to pay the difference. Yeah. And in all fairness, occasionally, as we found, um, I think a little in both houses, but more on the um, modern house, is that you know, then if there are things you decide not to do, you can trade, you, there's a little trade off and, and you actually can get, you know, the budget can um, come back to you and you can redistribute it some other way. Um, can you explain how that works? Yeah, well, we work with the designer and the customer, right? Because it's a dollars and cents. So it's a financial decision. So, you know, hey, I would like X, Y, and Z, what would that cost? And so we give them a cost and they can make a financial decision on, is that something I really want? Is, is that worth the money? Or we might have an idea of, hey, you can get X, Y, and Z, but we'll take A and B off. Is, is that something that works? You're not spending extra money. So we try to help where they're not spending extra money if possible. Um, but we work with the customer, the homeowner, and the designer to try to figure out the most cost-effective way to get what they want, but yet not break the bank. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm working with a client right now who has – uh, a small place, but they have the architect do this elaborate uh, cabinet design for uh, cabinets up the wall, and, you know, a window seat down below, and a, not a very expensive place. And I said, so do you want me to bid this? Because I think this costs you about $15,000. And I said, and they were like, well, that costs a lot of money. I said, look, I don't have to do this right now. You can also, you could do this in two years. That's right. You have the, the room built. You could, you could come back and revisit that if you want to put that in. And uh, so that's something that we took off it to knock off the $15,000 on their budget. Uh -huh. That saves them money. I said, look, you can, live in, you can live in the space, work in the space. And if you decide down the road, really, I need to have that back. 
then you can add that back when you feel more comfortable. So yeah, something's that, been added, yeah, so you're something looking for it on hand. You know, okay. you can't say, well, I want to have a sink over there. You oh, know, yeah. And, oh, we'll add it later because, oh, there's no drain now. And now it's going to cost double. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. no. You can't, so you are able to identify some areas where people can, you know, um, nip and tug a little bit. Right, right. So in an earlier episode of the show, um, you shared that one of the most important suggestions that you'd make for people... Um, starting out this process is to be realistic about their budgets. But clearly most of us have no idea what it costs to build a new home from the ground up. Can you um, help your clients? How do you help your clients keep track of their budget goals? And Well, I think basically, like we talked a little bit about having the budget and having line items um, and say, here's what we, you know, go back to that word allowances. And that really is the only way to keep it in line and say, here's, here's what you can get, you know, for this, that, or the other. Um, sometimes in some of the insurance jobs, there's an allowance, let's say for, uh, you know, blinds, windows, you know, besides windows, um, but blinds, what kind of blinds did you have? Did you have shutters? Do you have, you know, a basic window window? Can you or would you be willing to do something more simple? The insurance company might have given you a whole lot of money and maybe you could do it for half with somebody else or a different right. style and you can save some money. So you go back to those line items and say, maybe we can trade this money around for something else. Like I think you mentioned earlier, you, tr you trade that back. Do you, do you have to have the most elaborate window covering on the, you know, the kid's bedroom? Yeah, maybe yeah. not, you know. So you kind of trade that stuff back and forth. So in a world where clients are watching HDTV and designed build shows that don't give us any accurate budget information and make things look like they're both free and magic, how can we best take our clients from fantasy to reality? Well, I would start with, you know, if it looks expensive, uh, it's probably expensive. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just sticking to the original plans, always going to save the customer money um, because the contractors reviewed the plans. They met with the designer, the architect. They have a real understanding of what it is they're building. And as things start changing, the customer wants to start changing them. That's always going to increase cost because, you know, there's, there's, there's more work to be done by every trade. Um, materials get expensive. So if they're looking to stay on budget, I would just basically follow, follow the budget. You know, don't, don't start stepping out. Um, if it's something that you can afford, you know, ask the contractor what it would cost to, to change. But that's where customers end up spending money is making changes midway through the project. I think uh, we all have to get back to reality <laughs> when we're looking at the shows that are on TV. Yeah. As I always tell my wife. It's a TV show, uh -huh. okay? It's not real life. It's a TV show. There is some real life going on. It looks like they're cutting wood. looks like they're nailing up drywall, but they're not all doing it in three days, uh, you know, so, or, or a week. They didn't tear that house down and put it back together or, or one of the shows where they have 40 people and 50 contractors standing outside oh, with all the appliances and they all run in and build the house. So that's not exactly how it works, so. Yeah, just remember, it is TV, folks. It's true. 
Thank you so much, John and Don, for another great set of answers to our questions. We'll be talking to an architect soon in our series and interview someone who can speak for the insurance companies um, for their side of the process. Within the next month, we'll be ready to talk to you both about what leads up to pouring the foundation and beginning to build a house from the ground up. I hope that you will be with us and I really look forward to talking about that. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for, for having us. us. Thank you. Welcome back again to Dream It, Design It, Build It, the interior design podcast featuring the client experience of building a new house, renovating an older home, and rebuilding after a disaster. On my website, rebuildingafterdisaster.com, we have posted a 12-month timeline where you can see the process of what you will need to do month by month in order to stay ahead of your contractors when building a new home. We've been speaking with Don McMaster and John Hill of McMaster and Hill Construction for the past two weeks about the beginning process of building a house from the ground up. Last week, we talked about the process of working with insurance companies when the client is rebuilding after disaster. Please check out our earlier episodes. McMaster and Hill Construction was founded in 2017 and specializes in water and fire restoration. Over the past four years, they have grown the company into a leading full service remodeling and design firm. McMaster and Hill now specializes in high-end remodels, home additions, kitchen and bath remodels, and complete fire rebuilds. With over 40 years of a combined experience, Don and John have the skill set to fit any client's needs. Thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you for joining us on this episode of From Disaster to Dream Home, the podcast that takes you inside the home building and rebuilding process. Each week, we bring you time-tested practices and the latest trends through conversations with top professionals in the building industry. You can find other episodes of From Disaster to Dream Home at EWNPodcastNetwork.com, as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, and most other major podcast streaming services. Need design help? You can contact us or find out more about our guests at From Disaster to Dream Home. Until next time, let us guide and inspire you as you create the home of your dreams. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. 
Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.